Right, well, good morning, everyone. Title for the message this morning is Who Will You Believe? And I'm a believer. You might have suspected I'm a believer because over the last five years, I've frequently climbed inside an aluminium tube to move from one country to another. And I've trusted those tubes to efficiently transport me, even though some of these aluminium tubes with beams on the side weigh up to 560 metric tons when loaded. Now, most of the time I could not see anything holding those aluminium tubes up. But by trusting them, my life was more productive, more enjoyable. I got to see people that I wouldn't have even been able to see if I'd gone by sea. And uh, my life was much more enjoyable than if I didn't trust those aluminium tubes, which some people call aeroplanes. So the, the thesis or the main idea this morning is believe in Christ to have peace, joy, truth, relationship with the Father, fruitfulness, and abundant life. So why is it important not only to believe in God, but also specifically in Jesus Christ? Well, it's important to believe in Christ to have peace in times of trouble. And I think I said in my introduction to the series, we're working through the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 to John 17, but I'm going a little bit thematically, so I've picked up scriptures where it talks about believing rather than just uh, following Jesus's or John's recollection of Jesus's discourse. And that's partly because it makes more sense to me and I find it easier to work through an idea rather than going from one to another. So John 14 is where we begin. Verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And just want to refresh you again of what's going on, where we are at this time. Jesus has spent three and a half years with his disciples, and now he's right at the end of his earthly ministry. And about 15 hours away from his crucifixion, and he's delivering his last words to these disciples who are going to go through a terribly hard time. They're going to see Judas portray their Lord. They're going to see their Saviour nailed to a cross. They're going to see Peter deny even knowing Jesus Christ. They're going to be in an environment of hatred and anger. And personally, they're going to feel great sorrow and confusion. So Jesus is trying to prepare them for all of those things. And so he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then the solution for that, believe in God, believe also in me. So believing, another way of putting that or defining it, is to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Complete trust and reliance. So this is personal relational trust in the context of believing Jesus. Uh, in the context of getting inside an aeroplane, it's complete trust in that machine and those people to keep me safe. Or Paul shared an illustration of somebody being pushed over a high wire in a wheelbarrow. It would be complete trust in the person in the, in the wheelbarrow uh, to get you across the, the ravine. So Jesus is saying to his disciples back here, 
completely trust and rely on me. And that trust, that reliance was going to be greatly challenged in their case. So he says there in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. So the flip side of that, if we jump down to John 14, 27, is peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the opposite of not being troubled or not being afraid is that peace. In the world we do have peace, uh, we have tribulation, there's trouble. And Jesus is not saying, I'm going to remove all that trouble. He's saying, you're going to go through trouble. Each of you will go through trouble. But what he wants you to know is you can have peace in the midst of that storm. It's uh, counterintuitive, it's very un, un, uh, against our human nature, but we can have peace in times of trouble. Flipping uh, over to chapter 16, verses 29 to 33. I'll just read those verses, 20, 16, 29 to 33. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in verse 32 he's saying all the disciples are going to leave him. They'll be scattered, and they were. And last week we looked at the uh, the Easter story through the eyes of Mary Magdalene, and we see that Mary Magdalene was there when the disciples had all left. Uh, she had the courage, whatever it was, to stay with them. So Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that they would be scattered and that they would leave him alone. But he also said he was not alone, that Jesus, uh, that his father would never leave him, that his father would be with him right through all that trouble. And in verse 33, he says, In me, you can find peace in the world tribulation. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be we'll catch up into John 15, where it talks about the vine. And how he said again to these same disciples at the same time, you need to abide in me, you need to remain, you need to reside in me. And the trouble is when things go wrong, uh, that's when I come out of Christ. That's when I, uh, I forget about all of the promises, all of his, uh, the truth about him, that he's sovereign, he's in control, that he loves me. And I take things into my own mind. And I've got to learn, and we've got to learn to stay in Christ at that time. Because in him is peace. Uh, Christ is in us, we are in him. But sometimes mentally we step outside of that. 
and that's when we get into a panic, that's when things go pear-shaped. And yes, in the world we will have tribulation. There are some people who teach that if you come to Jesus, life will be sweet from that point on. Uh, that's not the Bible that I read, and that's not the testimony of the followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, the, uh, the man writing this gospel, the Apostle John, was the only one of 12 not to be martyred. <laughs> so, yes, they went through those terrible times, and it's, uh, it's actually fascinating reading. Uh, we don't actually have, other than some church tradition, the, the testimonies of their martyrdoms, but as we read and hear of others' martyrdoms, it's amazing to see the peace and calm of so many of those Christians when they go through tremendous tribulation. Uh, for some reason we get flustered with the smaller things and the bigger things uh, we're more prepared for and we go through it with peace. So yes, remain in Christ, reside in his love and uh, stay in that peace in the midst of the conflict. And yeah, we still have that Old Testament illustration really of Job who, where everything goes wrong, he still won't abandon his saviour. And he says in Job 13.15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. So it wasn't actually God doing the slaying anyway, um, but Job was saying, yeah, well, even though it feels like God's abandoned me, I'm still going to hope in him. I'm still going to trust in him. Uh, against all logic, even his own wife saying, well, just curse God and die. So, yes, we need to believe, we need to trust. And these passages don't specifically tell us how to do that, but there's things we can do to grow our belief, to grow our trust. Uh, we can strengthen our, our trust through the Word of God, through reading it, through the Holy Spirit empowering us, through fellowship with others, and drawing from, from uh, others' teachings and books and various things like that, and also just worshipping God and praying. So spending time with him. That's not the topic of our message this morning. It's for another day on how to grow that belief and trust. Here he's just saying, look, just make that choice. By an act of your will, believe me, trust me. So we need to believe in Christ to have peace in times of trouble. We also need to believe in Christ to know the way, the truth, and the life. Back one page in my Bible to John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that was the sixth of seven I am statements that Christ made. Again, that I am to the Jews meant he was claiming to be God. So these passages are commonly used at funerals uh, for Christians and non-Christians alike, in my father's house are many rooms and so on. Oh, they've gone to heaven. 
but we need to keep it in the context. Christ is talking to his disciples here. And his, his language here is actually paralleling Jewish marriage customs. So what would happen uh, in those days would be first is the betrothal, or there'd be a contract actually signed between the families, between the man and the, the bride's parents, to saying, yes, I'm going to take your daughter to be my wife. And there'd be a, an exchange of money too. Uh, various reasons for that, but yeah, there'd be a, a bride price paid. But then what would happen is the bridegroom, who might only be uh, a very young man in those days, would need to go and find somewhere for his bride to live. So he would go back to his father's house and then they'd start preparing a room, building a place for this new couple to live uh, initially in the, in the bridegroom's parent's house. And then, hopefully within a year or so, the, the bridegroom would come unannounced and take the bride to his this home that he's made and they, then they would consummate the marriage and they would live in the same house uh, from then on. So the, talk, the speech here that Jesus is using is very much in parallel to this marriage custom and so we might be reading about many rooms and so on but to me the point is he's saying look I'm going to take you to be my bride don't be troubled I'm going to come back for you and first there's got to be a contract. There's got to be a new covenant made. And I've got to actually pay for that. Uh, he paid that bride price and his blood. And then he's, he's now preparing the place for us in his father's house for us to go to. Not so much a, phys- a uh, place, but a place with the father. And then he'll come in un- unannounced and he'll take us to be his bride and yes we talked the last couple of weeks at that point will be the marriage supper of the lamb and sorry guys we are the bride at that point Uh, we take another role (laughs) Um, but yeah we get to spend eternity with our bridegroom in his house and with his father hallelujah now if we contrast that this picture that Christ is giving them of going away and taking them to himself with other religions, say Hinduism or Buddhist. It says, well, the ultimate, the best that you can hope for is that you'll just no longer exist, nirvana. You finally get to the point where you just vaporize and there's no more you. Finally, you've got peace because there's no more conflict, there's no more me. Uh, You could look at the Muslim religion, well, it acknowledges heaven. There's a lot of talk about heaven in the Quran, which I've read. And Isa, as a prophet, uh, they say, always speaks the truth. But they say Allah is unknowable. So despite Jesus saying, look, you can know God through me, the Muslims will say, no, you'll get to heaven, but you'll never know God. It's not about a relationship, it's about a place. So that's not what we believe. I was just reading this morning about an Anglican priest who was calling uh, the Christchurch victims our brothers and sisters and 
saying we've got the same heritage, we all came from Abraham. Well, uh, yes, in a twisted kind of way, but realise there's some very dramatic differences. And one of them is the concept of heaven. Ours is a place where the Father is, theirs is just a nice place, but God is still unknowable for the rest of eternity. So Christ says in verse 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And just to unpack that a little bit, again, he's the way where? He's the way to the Father. He says that just a bit later on. Um, that uh, oh, it's, it's, it's back. He's, he's taking us to the Father. So that's exclusive. Jesus is saying he's the only way to the Father. Or is it? I mean, that's the accusation. Everyone says, well, you're Christians. It's, you're too exclusive. You just say there's only one way when there's all these religions that are all on the same path to heaven. Well, I heard a uh, preacher in Tauranga recently saying, well, it's exclusive to say that the only way to think is that all religions are okay. We're saying there's only one way, uh, but but we're being persecuted because they're saying, well, no, you can't say there's only one way. Well, that's an exclusive statement. Uh, so the other way of looking at it is if it depends on our works, if only good people are saved, now that is really exclusive. That excludes me. Uh, that actually excludes you guys. Uh, that is really exclusive if only good people can be saved. So the gospel, our gospel, is very inclusive. It says if you believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, anyone can be saved. Uh, whether it's these terrorists of, of late or the common one, Hitler, or me, or a Down syndrome child, or... Uh, Anyone who's had a terrible upbringing, anyone can be saved. It's not exclusive, it's very inclusive. But Jesus is the only way. He also said he is the truth. And there are an infinite number of possibilities for what is not the truth. Uh, I like an illustration. Uh, imagine you have a very wealthy uncle. And on his deathbed, he calls you to the side of his bed and he slips you a piece of paper and it's a map and it's got an X marked on it. And he says, when I'm gone, if you go to that place, you'll find a great trove of treasure. And so you take this map and you go and all the relatives say, well, what about the inheritance? And you say, well, my uncle gave me the map. I know exactly where he's buried it. And all your relatives say, well, you, you arrogant young man who thinks you, that you know where the inheritance is. How can you say that? Because we think the inheritance is here or here or here or anywhere in the world. We're going to go looking for it. But what's the proof? Is when you go, you follow that map, and you dig and you find the treasure. That says that was the truth. It, yes, it was exclusive but it was true. And all of the other possibilities anywhere else in the world was false. 
What's our proof with Jesus saying he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life? Well, he also said he was going to die and rise again the third day, and he did. So we know he's true because he's done what no human being has ever been able to do. 2 Thessalonians 2, 19-13 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved, through sanctification, by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. So believing what is true is essential to the Christian faith. In 1 John 5 verse 20, says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. That's what we believe. So in John 14, 6, on the way, on the truth, on the life, and yes, he wants us to have that abundant life. Now this is, remember he's talking to his Disciples here, this is not so much talking about salvation, it's talking about the Christian life. In John 10.10, Jesus had already told them, The thief comes not but to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and life in abundance. And in John 20.31, John says the purpose of him writing this gospel is that we might know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing we might have life in his name. So God wants us to have that abundant life. In John 11:25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So we're so easily deceived to believe that other things or philosophies are the life. Our hearts get troubled by desires for other things that promise life but are not life. Things like possessions, sex, comfort, human praise, even religion. And all of those things are part of life and they are all good in their proper place. But each seek to deceive us saying that they are the life, that we can give our life to them and that we'll get life from them. They all seek the central place in our lives. And really it's a, it's a form of idolatry to allow those central place because the only one who can give us life, abundant life, is Jesus Christ. So application here, seek our life primarily in Christ. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. So believe in Christ to have peace and to know the way, the truth and the life. Believe in Christ also to know the Father. John 14 verses 7 to 11. <clears throat> if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
for now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So in 14 verse 9 there he says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And, uh, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, speaking of Jesus Christ, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, yes, we can look to Jesus if we want to know what the Father is like. And Rosemary and I were having a conversation with a couple earlier this year, and the man called Mike said, I have no problem with Jesus. That's his dad I have a problem with. And so I took time to explain the shared characteristics. I said, and he was also saying the Old Testament was... I've got a problem with the Old Testament, but the New Testament's fine. And I was trying to do a little bit of teaching with Mike there to say, well, in the Old Testament we see the love and the mercy of God and the judgment. In the New we see the love, the mercy and the judgment. In God the Father we see the love, the mercy and the judgment. And the same with Jesus Christ. Uh, We see the love and the mercy which most focus on. But remember Jesus said multiple times in Scripture, that he was going to judge the world. So they are the same. Uh, we might have seen Jesus in a period of time where that mercy and that love was being expressed more, but he was still warning the time will come for the judgment as well, and it's Jesus who will judge. So get to know God the Father. Oh, sorry, to get to know God the Father, get to know Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself in his word, which is why I had the uh, um, I had the John one one to eighteen read out by Greg there, focusing on the living word, the written word, the logos, and us getting to know Jesus. Right at the end there, it talked about the the um, yeah the the Father is revealed in Christ. So, so far we've seen that believing in Christ is the key to having peace in troubled times. It's the key to knowing the way, the truth, and the life. It's the key to knowing the Father. And there's two more reasons to believe in Christ. Believe in Christ to do great works. John fourteen twelve to 14. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
So here Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You need to keep it in a historical context. But note his words there. He says, whoever believes in me will do these works. It's not just the disciples. It's not just the apostles. And they did do some great works. And there was more of them. Uh, But it's saying whoever or the one who believes or anyone who believes will do these great works. And in verse 13 he says, In my name, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And that's not a magic formula for praying. Uh, In Vanuatu, there's one group that we work with and every time they pray, they'll always quote John 14, 14. Actually, they'll say John 14, 14. If you ask anything in his name, uh, he he will do it and then they'll start praying. And it's good to remind themselves of that, but the name really is talking about his character. It's saying, are you praying according to his character and his will? So Jesus will only do whatever, as he says in there, for whoever, only if it glorifies the Father. So John fourteen thirteen to fourteen are expanded in one John five fourteen to fifteen. Again, same author, but he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, know that according to his will he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So remember, the works and the answered prayers are linked to believing and trusting that Jesus is who he said he is. It's not believing in faith itself, but it's believing, or even in some formula, but it's believing in God himself and what he has communicated and promised to us. And works, whether they're good or bad, are evidence of what we truly believe and who we believe in. So yes, I've been meditating on that a little bit this week and thinking, yeah, I've personally got to get more in tune and realize I need to ask for the for the resources, I need to ask for the things that he's promised, I need to ask for the things that I know according to his will. Because often I don't tap into that. In other words, I don't exercise my belief enough. My belief is weak. I need to tap into that more. And then again, skipping to John 16, verses 23 to 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So here we see that the reason why he's asking is not just for fruitfulness, but that our joy might be full. His will is that we have peace and joy, even in the middle of trouble. And if we can just take one example of praying in his name and use Paul's prayer from, the Apostle Paul's prayer from Colossians 1, 9-10. It says, And so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Every aspect of that prayer is something that we know from other parts of Scripture that it's God's will. And so Paul is just simply praying out God's will there. Carrying on in verse uh, in chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So we can ask the Father directly because he loves us. Most uh, most of us who are parents, and rejoicing with Jerry and Jenny that they're going to be parents too. But when that baby comes to them or as a toddler comes to them and asks them for things, their, their parent heart is going to want to give them what they want. Uh, they'll even want to give them chocolate and lollies and things like that. Maybe they'll say, no, that's not too not good if we give it to them all the time. But their heart as a parent will be wanting to give them something. And it's a bit like that with our Heavenly Father. He wants us to come and ask Him. Uh, he wants us to go to Him rather than try and get it for ourselves. So we can ask Him directly because He loves us. And if we read in verse 28... I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. This time our asking and prayer is linked to, the fa- to Christ going to the Father. So Christ then has paid the price, he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's opened the way for us to go directly to the Father with our requests. So once we know what pleases the Father... By getting to know his son, we will know how to pray in a way that glorifies the Father. In other words, if it were possible that our will was perfectly aligned with God's will, we could ask Christ for whatever we wanted, and he would always do it. So the last reason we need to believe in Christ Well, the last aspect is believe in Christ even when you can't see him. This was going to be very important for the disciples. They were going to lose sight of him. Sometimes we lose sight of God. Uh, We feel like at most, usually when we're going through hard times, we might cry out and say, God, where are you? You don't feel very close to me at the moment. John 14, 28 to 31 You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. 
So why is he telling the disciples these things? Well, verse 29, that they might believe when they've lost, lost sight of him. Told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So why do we have hundreds of prophecies in Scripture? For exactly the same reason, so that we might believe. This now for us is past tense. Uh, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled in Christ and that gives me confidence to know that what he said, what he has promised, is going to happen as well. It gives me confidence that when I'm in a time of trouble, I can believe in him. In verse 30, uh, John 14 there, says, uh, talking about the ruler of this world, he has no claim on me. And it's interesting looking at different translations, New King James, nothing in me, NIV, no hold over me, Lex, uh, Lexham English Bible, no power over me. So these things that were happening, Jesus is saying, look, this is the work of the ruler of this world, but he doesn't actually have any power over Jesus Christ. Sin Sin or Satan has no power over Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord, that power has been broken over our lives as well. And I think it's interesting in verse 31, he says, Rise, let us go from here. And at this stage we're not exactly told where, but it's maybe the start of them moving to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a little bit of a parallel here, uh, just Recently I heard somebody, a friend, saying it's, it's tempting to stay in the warmth and safety of the upper room. Uh, wouldn't it be nice just if the disciples and Jesus could have their nice little meeting up there, if we could have our nice little church service here, have our nice little home group like we had on Thursday night, if we could just stay in that place where everything's nice and warm and cosy and there's no conflict or at least not much. Um, but yeah, he says no it's time for us to go out from here. And so believing does actually mean going out so that the world will know the way, the truth, and the life too. Yeah, we can't stay in that cosy place. So we need to believe in Christ even when we can't see him. And then skipping again to John 16, 16 to 22. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of the disciples said to another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this that... Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me again? A little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives this beautiful example. Again, sorry Jenny, uh, this is not good news for you. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, this is the good news, 
She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So this is probably about the most powerful illustration for women in the room of what that anguish and that sorrow means. Um, I've heard about a husband getting abused by his wife when he said he was trying to grasp the concept of childbirth. And so he was saying, is it kind of like a really bad toothache? At which time he was uh, struck violently by his wife. <laughs> so yes, it's an extreme anguish, but Jesus is saying, you're going to come through that, and when you do, no one can take that joy from you. And we saw that fulfilled, we see that fulfilled in John 20, 20. Uh, after his resurrection, and it says, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's a little bit under-translated. It's kind of like overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So when we are sorrowful, weeping and lamenting, it's hard to believe our Lord is still in control and that he has promised in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that scripture itself is probably quoting from Joshua um, where he told Joshua, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So that's a promise for us today. He will never leave us nor forsake us. You might feel forsaken, but you are not. And eventually your sorrow will turn into joy too. Uh, I'm not sure when, when that shift will come, but certainly by the time of the new heaven and the new earth. We're told in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. So the Apostle Paul summed up the application of these passages when he said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 for we walk by faith not by sight. So Jesus is saying to his disciples Look, this next 24 hours particularly, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. You're going to have to walk based on what I've told you and based on who I am, not based on what you're seeing unfold before your eyes. Because what we're seeing can deceive us. Any magician will tell you that. Uh, our eyes, uh, the camera, the video clip, uh, does not always portray the truth. So we need to keep believing Christ, we need to keep trusting him, even when we cannot see what he is doing. And that pleases him. The flip side is that without faith it is impossible to please him. So it pleases him when we do hang on. So let's recap. Believing, we must believe in Christ to have peace in times of trouble. We must believe in Christ to know the way, the truth and the life. We must believe in Christ to know the Father. We must believe in Christ and do great works. And we must believe in Christ even when we can't see him. So from a few passages in the Gospel of John, we've seen that believing in Christ is the key. Not just to salvation, but to the Christian life. 
go to the next slide, Hamish. Okay. So Satan wants us to believe Satan. Satan knows that steadfast belief in Christ is critical to our Christian lives. So he will do all he can to bring about doubt and discouragement. We do have an enemy. Satan wants us to believe Satan so that he can rob us and others of love, joy, peace, truth, relationship with God, fruitfulness and the abundant life. And each day of our lives, even today, tomorrow, we're going to have to choose who will we believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to this earth and revealing the Father to us. We thank you that you commanded us to believe you, you commanded your disciples to believe you, even through the toughest of times. And I thank you that that flows down as disciples of the disciples of the disciples to us. I thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us, I thank you that the, uh, the things that we see before our eyes are not a good indication of the truth at times, that we can walk by faith and not by sight. So Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, empower us to live this out. Lord, uh, our Christian lives will be tough and maybe today they're tough for somebody here. Maybe this week things are going to happen that uh, cause people to, to doubt their belief, to doubt their saviour, to doubt your goodness to them. And Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you'd give them the faith, give them the steadfastness to continue believing, to say no, regardless of what I see, I trust Jesus. So we pray these things in Jesus' name and for your glory alone.